0: So this week on the podcast, I have on Cole Kramer. I uh, really had a good time getting to know Cole. He just um, seems like a great guy, real genuine and humble, and um, he, he was willing to share information and uh, just a, a super conversation, super guy, and, and great podcast. Um, he works as a guide up off uh, Kodiak, Alaska, and so he guides for Kodiak brown bears, and a lot of those hunts he's doing with a bow and arrow. Um, you, you talk about ice water running through your veins, but he guides for Kodiak brown bear, he guides for doll sheep, for for goats, for Sitka Blacktail. So the guy's no stranger to adventure and then and then in, in his free time he's going on all these epic hunts himself. He just likes to challenge himself and, and uh he, we talk about this honey did in Nepal that was just amazing for these blue sheep and how he got the idea doing it. But so much great information in this podcast. Um, I, I really enjoyed it and I know you guys will too. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Sitka. Um, Sitka is just a great company. Um, Cole Kramer is also a Sitka athlete. Uh, it, it's just the, the the best company on the market. They just build technical mountaineering clothing that that you can. You know, be comfortable for longer up in those those conditions. You know, like on Kodiak, or you know, like any place I hunt. Um, gosh, anywhere from from cold to to rain to you know any kind of weather you're going to run into. You know, Sitka has the clothing for you all the way through. You know, they've got their base layers, insulating layers, their shells um every different type of pant that could fit your need uh they came out with like a uh, hot weather clothing which is really good for us bow hunters as they just evolved their line over the years so now they've got that that lightweight hoodie, which is like a sun hoodie that I use. They've got their lightweight ascent pants, which are these breathable pants. And that used to be the problem, like on these early season high country mule deer hunts, like you can get rainstorms that roll in and lightning storms and it can definitely cool down. But a lot of what you're dealing with is the heat and having to move a bunch of miles in the heat and and Sitka saw that and uh, saw a need for it and then came out with, with some of this stuff on the market. So any condition you're going to run into, Sitka's going to do the job. And and um, they, they also – they're starting to give me some gear to give away on the podcast. So I haven't actually got this Apex hoodie for myself, but I do have one to give away on the podcast, and um, I was going to give it to Cole, but of course, he's a Sitka athlete. I'm I'm sure he's got one coming, but this Apex hoodie they came out with, it's merino wool, 230 grain. so it's gonna be like a, a great mid layer, and I I end up wearing these mid layers all the time, and it's it's got a hood on it, um you know the highest quality merino wool, it's got a, a good pocket scheme on it, um you know it's it's just gonna be a go to for for wearing all the time in the high country, and even those early season hunts and mornings and evenings, um you know I need a good hoodie or a good mid base layer, um so I can't wait to see this this apex hoodie. Uh, or see one for myself that fits me anyways, but, um, we are going to start giving these away on the podcast to the guests, which is great. We're just getting bigger and we can give away, um, some of our sponsors gear and, and, uh, have other people check it out, but yeah, just a a really cool hoodie. I can't wait to see that. Um, yeah, so just a, a great company. I can't thank them enough for getting involved in the podcast. And I just, I really believe in their products and, and believe in what they're putting out there. And, uh, um it, and it's last um it it's made to to be durable and stand up to us hunters abuse and um so you get years of use out of them so uh you know when you spend the money you definitely get your money's worth so uh thanks again to sitka Um over there at Eastman's. So um man what do we have going on at Eastman's? I've got an article I'm working on there. Um so I got to get that turned in here by the end of the month. Uh really good one on the perfect hunting arrow. Um, so that's been a fun one. Been working on that and, um, man, we're just, we're just cruising along here. I got to get back over to the office and catch up to guys. Uh, I'm going to record a podcast with Scott Reekers here coming up, but, um, yeah, all good. We're just working away and, and, uh, trying to put out good magazines and good content. Um, I know that the beyond the grid is always working hard to put out good shows there. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a fun time of year as we're all in anticipation, waiting for the draws and, and seeing what tags we end up with and start shaping our hunting season and then um, start figuring out uh, I'm going to do a little bit more filming this year, a little bit of filming, but I also I want to get back to my roots of just hunting too um, and enjoying the hunt. And You know, I think I can do a good mix and match of it, so I, I'm excited for the season and excited to see what we can put together. Um, but yeah, all good at Eastman's. Everybody's doing good over there and um, gosh, doing good over here at the podcast. I got just a, a ton of support over there at the office, uh, and constant contact with those guys. And so um, all good. Just working away. So, all right, I better get this podcast started. It's a really good one. So uh, Cole Kramer and I on Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Right, right. I'm live here with Cole Kramer. Um, this is a real treat for me. So Cole is taking a break, uh, in between sheep hunts, uh, down in Mexico to be with us here on, on Eastman's Elevated. So thanks a bunch for being with me, Cole. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Hey, Brian. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, just, it's a treat for me as well to be able to chat with you. I've always, always enjoyed the, our previous conversations whenever we run into each other, but, uh, Thanks a lot for having me on today.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So you're down in Mexico on a sheep hunt right now, huh?
1: Yes, we are currently on the Baja Peninsula, based in Cabo at the moment. And uh, we finished up one sheep hunt the other day, and now we're just waiting on our second hunter uh, that comes in here in a couple days, and we'll head back out.
0: Okay, gotcha. And so... um So you've been guiding out of Kodiak for quite a while, and it seems like you've just built this network of guys. And now um, these guys are friends of yours that you've guided before. Now they're having you down in Mexico to help guide desert sheep down there. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and you know, um, you know, you go to these outdoor conventions throughout the years, and you're meeting other guide friends, and you're meeting all these clients, and so it gets to be quite the mixture of you know, um, going with friends who are other guides and then also the clients. Um, So in this instance, uh, I'm really good friends with Dustin Rowe um, out of B.C. And he's got a few permits down here on the Baja. And so I've come down here, oh, four or five years ago for a few years, took a little break, and then uh, actually all three of the clients – that are down here um, hunting are people that I've hunted with or are good friends with. So it just was a nice reunion to come back uh, to get on the Baja, chase some sheep around and then also be with good friends um, that have been made over the years. Yeah.
0: It's got to be a a pretty fun adventure for February, March to head down there where it's warm and soak in some sunshine and then just challenge your skills on a different species, the desert sheep. It's got to be fun down there.
1: It is. It is. I mean, you know, number one, it's pretty cold back in Kodiak, Alaska, at the moment. It's pretty downright miserable, <laughs> and so to be able to come down and technically get my summer <laughs> in March uh, is uh, pretty nice. And uh, so, and to not to mention, be in you know good company with friends is is always awesome. Um, and yeah, these desert sheep, you know, the terrain is, is can definitely be. Very challenging, but then also just finding these chameleons is a definitely a, a challenge for me. I realize there's lots of Western hunters that have been chasing desert sheep around and mule deer and whatnot that blend in so well. And you know, for me, it's it definitely is a challenge for me, and I really enjoy it. Um, and it's very humbling to be with some of the local uh, Mexican guides that are just amazing. You know, it's, it's, uh, they it will outglass me every time. <laughs> so it, it's very humbling for me, I can tell you that much.
0: Well, yeah, uh, different species and different environments are always tough to pick out, but then the desert sheep just blends in so good with this landscape that, uh, yeah, you're probably just living behind your binos and spotting scope. And even then, like you say, you kind of get in sync with um, looking for that type of animal and looking for that type of terrain. And I know you've done a, a ton of glassing through your years, so it's definitely not your glassing skill. But, um, you know, just picking those things out in that different environment is, has to be challenging but, uh, but humbling, like you say. And so did your first hunter fill out?
1: He did, actually. We got lucky the first day, and uh, Hunter shot a really nice ram the first day. So that was uh, a real treat. Um and you know, it, it was just great we had I think there was uh eight of us all together on the hunt. Um and it was a blast just to be with everyone. We had a great team, uh great team effort uh and to cap it off, you know, when the hunter shot the ram, shot up on a beautiful ridgeline where you could see three sixty around us, see the ocean. Um and then we camped out on the ridgeline that night underneath the stars. No tents and just on the ground there, and it was just beautiful to, you know, being in that desert landscape, looking up at the stars is always such a treat.
0: Oh, how cool! Um, those desert sheep, they they're not very big bodied, are they?
1: They're not. No, they're they're really not that that large. Um, I would say under, you know, they could be 150 pounds on the hoof, or you know, somewhere around there. Some are a little bigger bodied than others, you know, but. Uh, yeah, they're not exactly too large. That's okay, for sure. Yeah, 150,
0: that's um that's a little bigger than I was thinking. Um I was thinking they were more around 100 pounds, but yeah, 150 that's not bad size, but they um they must just fit into that desert landscape perfectly like a puzzle piece like they I bet they look like they're meant to be
1: there. Yes, they are And, you know, it it it's true like I said, it's very humbling being around some of these uh, local Mexican guys that have been hunting these sheep. One of the guys who will be coming with us on the next hunt. Um, one of the other younger guides' fathers. He, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, he's 70 years old now, and he just he can pick them out. It, it, you know, with a pair of old school Swarovski binoculars that are very outdated, but. He just he picks them out every time it seems like, and I can never get one up on the guy, and it, it's unbelievable. I'll be sitting there scanning it with my spotting scope on sixty power, and he's got his ten powers and found a sheep. And I've been looking there, and it's like, my God, how did you find that? But he just knows. He's been there. The guy's seventy years old, so he's been doing this sheep hunting forever, you know, and he knows exactly what to look for. It's just like all of us when you come to a new a new terrain to look through and pick apart. Um, it, it's just you know what I've experienced with me is coming down to these desert environments, especially where the heat is a play. That's a it's a it's a new. It's not new because I've done it for a few years, but it, it's a challenging environment being in the heat and trying to find things, especially in the heat of the day because the all the heat rays and whatnot. But it, it is something different than being in a cooler environment with where it's, a, where it's a clearer environment and not as bright you know so it definitely is a challenge for me at least maybe not for anyone else but for me
0: no i understand completely yeah i um i go down and do those those coos deer hunts every year like in southern arizona on the mexican border down there and uh, they say the the coos deer is like the poor man sheep and i so when you talk about spotting sheep i think of them you know, in the that similar, just really tough to pick out. They can be in the wide open, and you don't see them. And you're right. Like uh, my buddy Dan is such a good glasser, and it's usually. You know, I couldn't pick who's going to glass more animals when we go out, but he had never hunted those coos deer. So it took him a while to get in sync. And I know it was frustrating him to to spot 10 or 20 percent of the coos deer down there. So I know what you're talking about. And, and like you say, those those heat waves, once those heat waves start, you know, once that that sun hits that earth and the earth starts to warm up, it, it makes mm-hmm. these heat waves that just kind of wave back and forth. And it makes it so your optics aren't crystal clear or they aren't crisp like they would be in a in a colder environment. So, yeah, it's a real challenge when um, what you're looking at on the ground isn't even clear. It's got waves going through it.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's you're mm-hmm. definitely right.
0: Oh, how cool. Well, um, yeah, and then uh, so you do so much guiding there off Kodiak. I see you. Uh, um, Guiding a a ton of giant brown bears there, and um, it looks like you guide a lot of the archery hunters to those brown bears. It's just amazing, Cole.
1: You know, yeah, it's just one of those things where I've always enjoyed archery myself, and so it just seemed to be a perfect fit. And I kind of just found out throughout the years of, uh, number one, being with good mentors to teach me how to deal with bears up close. But, you know, you either kind of have it or you don't. And um, of being close to animals and keeping it together, uh, especially dangerous game, and so it, it's just one of those things that's always fit for me. And kind of once you do become successful with archery tackle, it, then all of a sudden that comes with a lot of archery hunters. You know, so it, it's it's just one of those things, and I enjoy it. You know, it doesn't bother me one bit to take a bow hunter. I just try to get him matched up into the right area. You know, some areas you just don't rather not be taking a bow hunter due to like the brushy environment or, or whatnot. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing that I try to tell my tell bow hunters or guys that are talking with me is is, uh, you know, don't try to talk a guide into guiding you that does not want to take a bow hunter. It just does, doesn't does always wind, wind up well. You know, it can go south with the guide that wants to take a bow hunter, <laughs> you know, easy enough, uh, but uh, be pressuring someone into taking you is not a good thing. And so I've, I've always enjoyed it. Uh, it has a lot of struggles to it, um, but it's just one of those things when you have that mindset, then it, it makes it a little easier when you are a bow hunter yourself
0: uh, yeah, I'd say it almost be a pre- prerequisite, and um, you understand bow hunters in our mindset because, you know, you're also a, a bow hunting enthusiast and go all over hunting with your bow, and so, yeah, I think that's a, a, a good fit for you as well, um, but, yeah, the mindset it's got to take, it. it's just so much more difficult with a bow, and so... Therefore, you know, you've got to find that many more bears or have that many more encounters to try to find success where a rifle guide, it's still difficult and you still have to find a bear that's worthy of your tag. But, you know, once you're inside of a couple hundred yards, you know, that's where the where the game ends where bow hunting the game's just beginning at 200 yards so yeah that's really wild that um that you have the right mindset and patience like you're talking about to be able to guide those bow hunters on on an animal that is so difficult to hunt
1: sure you know i and and to be honest it's not like I'm not going to say that our areas are just that good and have a billion bears running around. And we have opportunities every day because truth be told, a bear hunting, you do not just go after any bear. I mean, with us, at least you you will if you're laying down scent in those valleys, just chasing bears around. All you're going to do is push them out of there. So you still have to be extremely cautious with your stocks. I mean, realistically, you. Um, I mean, I hunt them the same way I do with the rifle. I don't really care if rifle, bow, whatever. I mean, even with my rifle hunters, we still try to get in close. Uh, A lot of times we're shooting them under 100 yards um, with a rifle, and there's been several times shooting them at 20 to 30 yards with the rifle. Um, But once again, I mean, rifle or bow, we're still looking for that one particular bear. And, um, it, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I really don't care if your rifle or bow were I mean, and truth be told, if a rifle hunter books with me, it's just kind of like, I think kind of try to pop out of that mindset of being so cautious, um, that I am on my bow hunts. Um, you know, we do have to be a little, obviously more cautious with the bow hunters. Uh, there are times if I did have a rifle, we could just hustle down there and, and, um, and get it done, you know, but unfortunately with the bow, <laughs> it just doesn't always work like that. Um, so, you know, you definitely have to have a little different mindset and whatnot. But it, we definitely aren't, like I said, I no, make no mistake, you know, for the people listening, I don't want to act like our areas. We just have piles and piles of bears. We do have a great amount of bears, but it's, it's more so just picking the right stock and uh, not knowing when not to go as well, not to blow out your area
0: gotcha um so uh yeah that's so wild and and see like this like i i've never been grizzly bear hunting you know i've been around grizzly bears in alaska and montana here and i've hunted um i love hunting spring black bears that's like entry level archery hunting bears and so i can kind of relate it to that but yeah that you know, those brown bears, like, it looks like you, you fill out a lot of them, like, on the last day or, you know, and I know you're looking for a specific bear, but it just doesn't seem like they're everywhere. Like, the way I envision it is I almost see you on these master vantage points looking over, and there may be multiple days where you don't even see a bear, or you might only see one or two shooters throughout the entire hunt, depending on how the hunt goes. Is that is that kind of a fair assessment of the of the bear hunting there?
1: You know, yeah, we do obviously try to get to a good vantage point and we stay right by there. A lot of times our vantage points are fairly close to the camp because um, we don't want to spread our scent out. Um, and, you know, we are typical, I mean, we're hunting federal refuge lands, some native lands, mixture of everything. Basically, we're hunting your your primo type of areas. Okay. okay. And to where we, we're, if we see five bears, that's pretty low. I mean, there has been a couple times where I've never seen a bear in a day, but most of the time I've seen, I have seen upwards of 25 bears in one day, different bears. Um, but it's most of the time on average, we're seeing, oh, I would say six bears a day. Oh, um, wow. But, it, you know, there could be sows and cubs and you could really run up a lot of numbers with sows and cubs. You know, there's some some of our areas are what we call like a nursery area where there's tons of denning country and you're seeing tons of sows and cubs coming out, running around and each sow has, you know, on the low end two cubs, maybe one, but most of our bears on Kodiak, if we're doing a good job in our areas, harvesting the old mature boars, then uh, we will see multiple sows that have three cubs. And on occasion, um, I've watched one sow for past few years that's got four cubs. And I bet you she's going to kick them this year. So I mean, they will be kicked out of the show. I think they were two or yeah, two and a half years old last year or whatnot. But uh, you know, it, it's pretty impressive seeing these sows that do a good job with with their cubs and whatnot. But uh, you know, it, like I say, we're just doing lots and lots of glassing, and um, I, I I don't I get pretty frustrated listening to these guys saying that well, you're a bow hunter. You're just going to have to shoot any bear that we see, you know, and, and most of our bow hunters are fine and actually just say, hey, I just want to, you know, any decent opportunity at a brown bear, I'll go after it. But that's that's not how we hunt where we are. I mean, I you know, we, we only try to kill the large mature boars, the older mature boars in our areas. Um, I don't care if you're rifle or bow hunting. It's that's what we're going after. And truth be told, what I've noticed in my short amount of time guiding brown bears, uh, maybe some of these old timers can say otherwise, is the old mature boars are more predictable. And so when I do find that old mature boar to go after, you know, he is slightly more predictable to me on what he's going to be doing, whereas, like, these young bears are all over the place. They, They don't even know what they're doing. You know, they're just cruising running around up and down the mountain all over the place so you try to stalk them and they're moving way quicker their arms are moving quicker uh they're looking up all over the place these old boars they're just head down relying on their nose most of the time just cruising and you can cut them off sometimes easier and whatnot but they're they're, they're extremely challenging you'll never beat their nose it's just never going to happen but in the areas where i hunt you know i've hunted one area um, I'll shoot for probably 13 years now in a row and you know spring and fall and so I kind of you know just like anything if you hunted an area that many years you're going to kind of get the lay of the land down and you'll watch where these animals are going and you know and I actually like doing a lot of spring you know spot and stalk brown bear hunts with the bow uh, rather than just doing the fall hunts on salmon which that's still a very popular way to do it but I enjoy the spot and stock and whatnot um, in the springtime as well. Uh, but you just, you got to know where these critters are going. Just like when you see a buck or an elk or whatever, you kind of get the gist of what they're doing. You know, it's just like how you hunt your animals. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's always a learning curve. There's never ending for sure.
0: Oh, that is wild, yeah. So it's like um, you go after those mature boars, and it sounds like that, whether it's a rifle hunt or a bow hunt, you know, it sounds like those are the, the ones you want to take to to keep a healthy population of bears within your hunting unit. Like taking those older boars, the, those older boars are bad for the populations, right? Because they do kill so many cubs and sows and, and young boars. So you want to take those out to have a healthy population. And Is that fair? Yes,
1: yes, yeah. you are 100% right. Uh, the area that we started hunting, like I said, like around 13 years ago, when we first started hunting it there was a sow ban uh, uh, and so basically if we shot a sow as a guide um, we would lose a permit for that area because they were trying to build the permits back up um, now if the residents shot them I don't believe that they lost one but as a guide uh, because there are non-resident and resident tags in these areas on Kodiak and so um, if we shot one we would lose a permit and so obviously as an outfitter guide you that's a chunk of income out of your pocket right so we had to be 100 percent sure and we always ran we always run two guides per hunter and so like an assistant guide and a registered guide or whatnot or a guide and packer and so it's really nice to be able to bounce that off between the two guides hey what do you think is that a boar sow and you know the older ones are much easier to tell than the young ones but uh you know I could tell you this, when we first started hunting there, the sow cub population was extremely low. We would only see a few during our hunts. And now, just like last year, we were in one little side valley, one of my archery hunts, and we had four sets of sows with three, and one of them had four. So that's a pile of bears in a mile-and-a-half-long valley. And that would – I mean, we would – through this whole entire area, hiking around and looking and whatnot in some of these back valleys, and never see that many when we first started. So we are doing a decent job uh, as hunters in whole, uh, non-residents and residents. You know that are, that that are guided, and plus the residents, I think, also are getting more educated on what to look for, um, and so it makes a huge difference um, in the in these areas just harvesting the old mature boars. Uh, It's pretty cool when you have lots of thousand cubs in the area. You know, it it turns into a pretty neat uh, bear viewing uh, trip as well. Um, And that's what I try to tell a lot of hunters. You know, this is this is an adventure. It's not just about you coming out here and killing a bear. This is you're here to learn about bears and have a great adventure. That's what I try to do. I'm not into the guys that just show up. They're only there to kill something and just get out of there. I mean, if you know, I want to have take guys that are that want to be there for the whole adventure you know, and learn about bears, you know, guys that are involved and and are interested in learning, you know, not just killing.
0: Yeah, um, it makes complete sense. And um, yeah, you've uh, guided so many guys uh, successfully. You've been on your own hunts. Um, and, and and seen success in some wild places like uh, Nepal, and we'll get into that. But um, so it, it's uh, when you talk about mindset and about attitude, I, I really listen up and pay attention because um, you see so many guys that you get to see you know what a toxic attitude brings to the hunt, or what a just want to fill my tag attitude brings to the hunt, and then you get to see the guy that that wants to embrace the whole experience and enjoy every ounce of it, enjoy the the sightings of the Bears, this new place where they are, the glassing position, you know, and they, they embrace the struggle and the hardships. I mean, the weather there on Kodiak is brutal. Like you, you just gotta, I bet a, a positive attitude has, has plays such a huge role in these guys having a successful hunt.
1: Sure. Yeah, it, it does. And, and, you know, that's a big thing. Like the guide has to have the positive attitude you know, if a hunter does, hey, that's great. That, that's, it's, it's wonderful to have a hunter has got a positive attitude. But us as guides, we're kind of the directors of the hunt to where I've seen it, where if a guide has a poor attitude, then the hunt can go downhill. And, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, I've seen it. I've heard the stories. No, no hunter wants to show up on his trip of a lifetime with a guide that's got a horribly poor attitude. And I've been there, you know, because of one reason or another, Things happen and, you you know, things are going on, this and that and the other. And and, and you kind of have to remember and remind yourself, hey, this guy is coming, you know, he paid his money. And this is his trip of a lifetime for the most part. And you have to treat everyone like that. No matter how many times you've explained something to someone, um, you know, this is a new person. And you need to explain and teach them. And and uh, my, my biggest thing is I want people to be involved on the hunt. Um, you're not just going to show up with me. And just sit down when we get to camp, and we'll set up the tents and and sit there. I like people to be involved, uh, learn how to set up the camp. Um, all of us, it's a team, it's a major team effort. You know, if we're if we're hiking around, everyone kind of pulls their weight. Um, you know, if we're floating rivers, and everyone everyone's got an oar, every, you know, everyone's kind of doing something. And for the most part, very rare with my hunters, do I need to be uh, telling them? You know, they all want to most of them, want to join in and, and help out. Uh, but, you know, my, my biggest, some, some of the, the people that I have, uh, because I do do the mountain goats and sheep hunting and whatnot, uh, I get a lot of my hunters that want to do these strenuous hunts, want to do the more adventurous hunts. And so um, on Kodiak, We uh, the outfitter I work with, uh, Paul Sherbanek, he's got multiple areas. He's got three areas there on Kodiak that offer something for everyone, you know, whether it be boat hunts, a cabin hunt, a backpack hunt, you know, a float hunt, whatever. And so I, I tend to do more of the tent camp backpack hunts. And, um, so my guys that show up, like for instance, my first guy that showing up in April, you know, when I was talking to him, he said, man, I just don't know if my ADD will allow for this, you know, (laughs) sitting there for so long and the same thing I had a guy last spring, same thing. And so what I factor in is, Hey, we're going to sit around, on our main spotting knob for, you know, a couple of days. We'll, we'll see how the weather is going to play out. And if we need to go backpack somewhere, that's fine. But I don't just go and We have to play it all by the wind, of course, just like you would with any animals. You don't want to blow out the valleys. And uh, so we have to do it the appropriate way um, to, to do that. And And you don't just want to go hike around because if you don't really know what you're doing and just go hike, you're just going to do more damage, you know, and there's always a plan on where to go. You're not just hiking and glassing. You're hiking to a, an advantage point somewhere, whether it be your way up on a ridgeline or, or, or just somewhere to where you're going to be sitting for for a, a day or a couple of days, not just walking and looking. Because everyone thinks that this, you know, because the type of bear we're looking for, you know, on the low end is an 800-pound critter, but can be upwards of 1,500 pounds. So, you know, you'd think they just stand out like a sore thumb but they don't, they are, they, I mean, I've been 20 yards from glassing heavily into an alder patch trying to find them, but they just get dug into the ground a little bit, you know, level with the ground in that cool dirt, and you just can't even see them. Uh, so you have to get somewhere and be overlooking and trying to pick apart every little alder patch, you know, um, and then also be waiting to be looking. Uh, our hunts tend to, you know, since we do run two guys, Uh, I'll have a guy or myself will be glassing until dark. And, you know, the hunters may want to head back towards camp because they're getting cold or hungry. And so we'll get them back to camp a little early, but there's always someone on the hill glassing. And the remarks are always, well, it's too late to go after anything anyways. Well, yeah, it is today, but if we see a bear pop out and start feeding on a hillside and it gets dark, well, guess where we're going to start looking the next morning? And multiple times, uh, one of my guys um, that... Guy's this great guy, uh, Stig, he, I mean, he is up at the crack of dawn. The kid runs into the tent. You know, I'm making coffee. I, I got to build coffee in the morning to eat. I, I can't do anything without eating. That kid runs in, grabs a packet of, dry packet of oatmeal, run, leaves with it, and goes up to the hill and starts glassing immediately, pours a packet of oatmeal in his mouth and swigs some water with it, and these are glassing. and multiple times he's found bears right at light that are just bedding down that have been up all night cruising like in the springtime or, you know, chasing a sow around or whatnot. And one of the bears last spring we got with the bow hunter was, you know, he made a call down to camp. We have like a little, you know, like a crow call or something, you know, spot knob's only a few hundred yards away. And I heard him crow calling to me. So I hop out of the tent and he's waving. us just come up. And by the time we got there, bear had already bedded down. And we waited there for an hour. He goes, that's, that's a really good bear. He's over nine and a half, old mature boar. And I don't need to see it. I trust him. And so uh, we made our move, got over there, called him out of the brush patch, and guy made a great shot on him. But, you know, if if uh, there's this, like, this, this thought of, oh, bear hunting's a lazy man's hunt, you know, let's just get up at 8 or 9 in the morning and cruise out there. And that's fine. You can do that, you know. But the way we hunt them, I can't afford to be not successful. I mean, do we have hunts that go unsuccessful? Yeah, we do. But... I can't live with myself. My other guys that are with me aren't going to live with themselves knowing that they maybe let hours on each end of the day slip by that we, maybe we could have found the bear, you know, for that guy. And so even if the hunter wants to go back, that's why there's two of us guides. we could run the hunter back to camp and one of us can still be glassing, you know, and that, that it just, it is so, like I say, all these hunts that we're doing require a lot of glassing.
0: Yeah. Well, and, uh, that, you're you're putting so much effort into it and it's like you're you're just not missing any of those times like you say in the evening yeah we don't have time to go for him but just knowing he's there and seeing him we know where we're starting in the morning now we we've, we've seen one we've seen a big boar whatever the case is or that that early morning glassing it's just amazing how that extra effort could turn up that one bear that'll make a difference and i i like what you say like you can't live with yourself if you don't put in you know, complete a hundred percent effort to try to help your hunter be successful. Um, you had so many great things that you touched on there. You, you also touched on having, um, your guys help out like, uh, your clients. And it, it's almost like, uh, you start treating them like one of your buddies. Like when they come on a hunt, you two are friends and you're, you're in this together. It's a team effort. And so they're helping with the tent and helping with the boats and the rafts. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's key. And yeah, um, Boy, like touching on a a guide's attitude and um, you've got to almost be a motivator at times, but you know what it takes to be successful and you've seen it come together so many times that you know that it just takes – you know putting forth that extra effort, sitting on those vantage points and catching them and, and here in Montana, we do the same thing like you can't you can't find sure. bears out walking around very often or like you say their their noses are a hundred times what a bloodhound's is, so if you walk through a valley, you can blow up that whole valley you know you you need to take a methodical thought out approach where you are finding mm-hmm. those key vantage points, key ways to getting to them and, and then you're just keeping your eyes over so much country where you might catch that bear coming out of an alder patch or like uh feeding inside it or on the move you know and boy it it only takes five minutes and not looking in the right direction and you can miss it or actually seconds and you can miss that bear and never see him and in that opportunity slips between your fingers but um sure yeah that is that is so cool it's got a um i describe bear hunting as 99 percent boredom and and one percent you know sure thrilling excitement you know it seems like that's the way it is to me is like um once you know that payoff is coming you'll put in that 10 days of sitting on vantage points day in day out because you just want that one thrilling encounter and you know it can come together so it's got to be pretty fun like that barry you were talking about uh you actually called that one out of the alders um that that had to be pretty hair raising yeah you know
1: it's uh I don't want to give away all my secrets here, Brian. But uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's one of those things where depending on the situation, sometimes you're waiting a bear out, but sometimes, you know, you're gonna once you've made a commitment to go up after a bear, and here you are right there. So you know, if you know, it's just like calling an elk, you know, or or turkey or moose. If you know the correct sounds to uh, to entice that animal to come out, you know, and I've screwed up a lot, but. It, it's I've kind of learned some things and uh the biggest thing is we you never do any blind calling with bears that's just not a good thing you have to be extremely aware around you because if there is a sound a cub or a young bear if you're not wanting to kill that bear you do not do that it is not a good thing it's just almost like a bull moose when you call them and that bull moose comes up there like well you sounded just like a cow you don't look like one be sounded like it and they just keep coming at you and i mean those moves can get downright ornery and it's the same thing with the bear sometimes if they do they they don't 100 percent, you know if they don't smell you they're just coming right up to you it can be a pretty bad scenario but you know when i'm doing that i've got the rifle on the bear and it just all depends you know and it doesn't always work too it's not like i can just tell you the exact sound to do and it's going to work there's several different uh call sequences that i try to use uh, but like I say sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i had one last fall that we were, got 35 yards from a bear a bow hunter um and that bear wouldn't move but he was an extremely old fat bear that was so filled up with salmon that he had zero desire to get up and move and uh and it got dark on us and we had to back out never end up getting him it was a real bummer but um you know he beat us <laughs> he was smart you know and i think he was just fat and lazy and and uh it was just one of those things sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't
0: well they they all have different personalities you know that uh not everyone like you say that one all full of salmon and laying in the alders he's pretty comfortable he doesn't want to get out uh and come see you but yeah i i like that too because when you're in that close proximity especially when you're bow hunting like that it's just a matter of time before that bear wins you too. Like uh, maybe you got pretty steady winds there, but I know it's mountainous terrain. And so like when I get that close to a mule deer, like I try not to force it and I try to let it happen most of the time. But I don't know, like Mm -hmm. on a bear like that, you'd almost, uh, I can see where it it would work better to kind of roll the dice and make a call sequence and see if you can get them out at you instead of waiting and and, uh, then having them wind you in the alderbrush and take off from there.
1: Right. Well, so the difference between spring and fall is like five or six hours of light in the evening. And so sometimes these bears are extremely nocturnal in the fall. You know, some of our spots, you know, we're not seeing any bears around us in the fall, but yet I'm seeing bears way below us, bears way above us. You know, everywhere except where we are, you know, a lot of the hunters will say, oh, well, I think we're blowing them out of here. It's like, no, no, our winds are perfect. There's a big bear in here and he's nocturnal and he's keeping all these other bears out of here. That's exactly what happened with that big bear last fall. You know, he was in there and all the bears were avoiding that area because he was in there. And so but he wasn't showing himself. Uh we saw him because one of the guides climbed way up and happened to be looking and just it was it was just like a you know, he saw a dark spot in the alders and got his spine scope on it, wound it up to sixty power, and and found him. You know, he wasn't up moving at all. And so, you know, these bears get nocturnal. And um, whereas in the springtime, you have much more light. And so that's why I don't mind hunting them in the spring. I can see more sometimes what's around me. You know, a lot of my bow hunters always want to say, oh, man, I want to come in the fall and chase them on the fish because that's how everyone does it. And, and you know, and a, there's a lot of guides who maybe that's their best scenario you know and so it all depends on the guide and outfit you're going with obviously listen to them once again don't try to talk them into something if that's not what they're comfortable with if their best archery hunt is to hunt them over fish well then do that but with me in our areas i don't really care with springtime is fine and i only have so many fall tags the outfitter does so like we only have so many slots and there's more in the spring so i don't mind taking them in the springtime and plus you know if they can hike then we're it's it's no problem But it, it, uh, yeah, it just kind of all depends on the scenarios and whatnot that you have.
0: Okay. Yeah. I love hunting bears in the spring, at least around here in Montana. I I have so many other hunts that I do in the fall, but it's so nice in the springtime to be able to focus on them and really look for a good mature one. Um, how cool. It's um it's so fun for us to hear about some of your, your Kodiak brown bear hunting up there just because we don't get to experience it so much. So yeah, it's really neat. And then and then you're also taking these guys in the fall on these adventure backpacking trips for, for dolls, sheep, and goats too, right?
1: Sure, yeah. Um uh, you know, I have some mountain goat areas on Kodiak for myself for my uh guide and outfit company. Um and then for sheep, I just typically will go and guide them. For other outfitters and my hunters, if they say, hey, we want to go do a sheep hunt, then um, I just contact some of the guys that I work with. And then if they have an opening, they book with them, and then I'm able to guide them. And I've worked with a couple of guys for a while now. So it works out really nice um, to be able to take those guys. But, uh, you know, it gives you something to do in August and uh, September. Or, or sheep hunts are August, and then uh, goat hunts start in September and early October for us.
0: Okay, um, so uh, are your bears also, are you the guide outfitter on your bears too?
1: So the brown bears, I work with a couple different outfitters. Uh, like I was saying before, Paul Sherbinak has the Kodiak areas, and then one of the guys I hunt with, Bill Stevenson, has the uh, peninsula areas that I work with.
0: Okay, yeah, um, those mountain hunts, those have to get pretty extreme on Kodiak. Uh, those are some steep mountains you guys have there.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, our, our mountains on Kodiak... You know, it's, I think our tallest one is 44 or 4,600 feet on the island, but that's coming directly up from the ocean. Yep. And so, you know, it's always pretty funny. My goat hunters are, oh, how tall is the mountains we're hunting? Well, you know, 20, you know, a lot of the mountains we're hunting for goats are, you know, uh, 2,500 to 3,500 feet. Um, and they're like, oh, well, that's not bad. Heck, I've hunted at 10 or wherever, in Wyoming or whatever. Well, it's different when you're going from saltwater or, or actually putting on 2000 vertical feet or 3000 vertical feet through some brush. I don't care where you're at. Most of the places that people hunt, they're only going up 1500 to maybe 2000 at the most 3000 vertical feet. You know, there's always hunts. where sure you can do more, but down in the States, you're typically driving to places where you can get up higher You know, so it it definitely has its challenges. You never go to a place, you know, unless you're going to, you know, Nepal, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, whatever, you know, that's where the elevation definitely comes into play. But mostly in the States, you know, putting on a couple thousand vertical is typically, especially when you're backpacking, can definitely be taxing on people, you know. Oh, absolutely.
0: Uh, Elevation is the equalizer, and then also weight on your back, backpacking, and that's probably the only way you guys can hunt those is to backpack up there and and either do a bivy camp or set a base camp and then hike from there daily. So, yeah, I bet. um, Even with guys that show up in good shape, I bet – Um, it's just the extreme nature of these mountain hunts that they, Mm -hmm. they aren't fun all the time and they take a ton of exertion. Like you've just got a, you've got a, you know, I've done marathons and ultra marathons in a 10 day back backtrack. Backpack trip like those don't even hold a candle to the wind to what a ten day backpack trip will do to you. You know, so sure. yeah, I bet um, I have I bet you have to be um, keep your attitude right during those as well, and be part motivator and keep encouraging the guys. Like, hey, we're doing good here. We just got to make it to this this next vantage or this next ridge and go look in these next basins. Um, sure. Do you treat those the same as like a, a a bear hunt where you just try to keep a good attitude and and positive all the time?
1: Yeah, you know, that's definitely the biggest thing. I try to get my hunters prepared, you know, for their mountain hunts. You know, our doll sheep, you know, we go in with 10 days of food. And, you know, the doll sheep, depending on where we're going, of course, back when I used to hunt the Chugach, uh, some of those areas, there's no fly-in. So you have to hike in. And so everything will be on your back. You leave from the road. And that's how I did, you know, for several years, a lot of the sheep hunts and most of those sheep hunts you know your camps at close or 10 miles in to anywhere from you know 20 miles in depending on where we would go and so you have to have your hunters ready and it's not it's not a race you know the nice thing about having camp on your back is yeah. you can just keep going until you're done that day You know, if you find a ram that you need to camp on or a mountain goat that you need to camp on and watch him to be patient, no problem. Yeah, like throughout the day, I'm just kind of glancing around to see where water is, where a decent little flat spot is or whatnot. Or if I hike past a creek, which I didn't know had water in it or a little puddle somewhere, I'll mark it on the GPS to know, okay, I know there's water here. Because truth be told, we're not always going into the exact same spot. You know, there's a lot of places – that are new each year or whatnot that we're just trying out or or whatever that's just the nature of the game you know we don't always go the exact same camp spot but then there's you know plenty of them that we do go in the same areas you know so you're always paying attention and a lot of hunters will say man we got to carry camp on our back especially if it's like a newer mountain hunter and it's like yeah well that extra 15 pounds or whatever it may be with you know just your overnight gear and, and some food or 20 pounds, whatever it may be, you know, yes, we may go slower, but in return, you will, your energy will be safe so much because you don't have to go back down the mountain before dark or in the dark. And it's much more dangerous trying to every day go up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. And so we try to, like I guess say, specialize in, in the backpack style hunts for the sheep and goat um, I used to do a ton of day hunts for goats on Kodiak and like if we, we would have a, a base camp set up and, you know, we, we, killed a lot of goats, um, doing that. But once I started sheep hunting more and realizing that, man, this is a more effective way, you know, uh, and, and to not wear out the hunters, you know, cause if you're going up and down, up and down, you do that for two or three days. And, and if you haven't gotten your animal, it, you gotta almost give them a break and and go and, and they're, they're hurting, um, you know, with all that extra physical exertion. Um, and so I've just found that if you go in with everything on your back, I mean, I'm just continue to scan and scour the area and, and moving through the area without having to go back somewhere and committed to coming back every day. You know, and that way, if a big storm hits, guess what? You just throw down camp right there, you know, and, and you're good to go. You know, just wait it out. Um, I, I, I honestly can't remember a, a time where the, of the weather was just a, a major disaster. I mean, we've had some times where some pretty crazy weather, but on these backpack, uh, style hunts that I've done, you know, having the right gear, uh, you know, we've had some major storms hit us. Um, you know, and Adam Foss killed his mountain goat with me, at Adam and, um, Mark Seacat and uh, who else do we have? Oh, Shawnee and a few. Uh, we we got into some some pretty nasty nasty weather there on Kodiak and you know people were blowing up blowing away, blown apart on in their camps and whatnot. But I had a good crew with me and we had camps set up in the right place and and uh, you know endured 80, 90 mile an hour winds and a few feet of snow overnight and it was you know we were fine. Um, but you know if you don't have the right setup uh and the right like I say the good attitudes it, it's gonna go south you know but if we would if we, the problem is if we would have been day hunting that and that scenario happen then we could have been in a really major bad circumstance you know
0: oh absolutely and and you're ultimately responsible for for everybody's well being and safety. I know each man takes it on themselves, but um, you know, you're you're in charge and you're the one with the experience and making the calls. So yeah, ultimately it comes down to you. That is wild. Um, yeah, that's a good crew of guys that you had there. Uh, a lot, a couple of those guys are from Bozeman here, and uh, I know they're hardy guys and go for it. Um, so yeah, up in that up in that country, like uh, the that that weather comes in that's got to be one of the most frustrating things but like you said all you can do is hunker down and ride it out and eventually the storm will pass and you'll be hunting again but uh, i just say especially on on kodiak i mean even my hunts here in the states gosh it it's frustrating when you lose two or three days to weather you know to fog in and there's really not much you can do but ride it out
1: yeah Yeah. and, and you know um, um one of the hunts last year I was on um, another Bozeman guy, a couple Bozeman guys, uh, Brad Christian and uh, works with Sitka and also yep. Steve Drake. Um, you know, I, we went up and we were prepared for everything, um, had several days of food. And then uh, I was keeping in touch with, with uh, the outfitters I work with. Um, and he always gives me good weather reports. And, you know, the storm was going to be a 30 mile an hour storm. I thought, no big deal. We'll just hunker in for the day up on a ridgeline. No problem. And then you know he kept giving me updates. Okay, it's increased to 35, increased to 40, increased to 50. Uh, it's going to be over 60, and I'm and that's at like oh. ground level, and we're up at a couple thousand feet. And I finally, you know, we're here we are in the blowing rain and wind, and I finally told the guys. I said, hey, <laughs> I know I said we're going to hang out up here, but I think we're going to bail. And they're like, really? And I was like, uh, yeah, it's going to get a lot worse. And so we went down through the. Uh, gorge of, of brush and <laughs> it was a wonderful experience for us but uh we we bailed off and and, and got down off the mountain just because it, it ended up sticking in there for i think it was we lost two days or whatnot but you have to got to be smart right um sometimes you just hunker down and that's the way it is but you you got to make sure make the right calls when because I, I thought okay uh i have a good tent i've got everything good but it, on some of these, it, depending on the way the winds are coming in, you just get these ginormous microbursts that come down. And at that point in time, I was using a floorless tent. Uh, a couple, f- I think we had a couple floorless tents, or I think maybe Drake had his own tent with him, or something that wasn't floorless. But I had a floorless, and I thought, ah, sometimes those floorless will implode or fly off in the middle of the night. So I thought, well, maybe I should probably get down out of this wind because it cannot sometimes not go as planned you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's gnarly yeah you just can't make the wrong decision or you're going to put yourself in in bad circumstances and and then have to get yourself out of them you know so yeah you got to make the right decision when you're hunting the mountains um no matter which mountains you're hunting but i'd say especially where you're at at the coast uh those storms yep. they roll in on you and yeah they uh, blow they like crazy they,
1: right yeah but they come in and they can build so quickly. You know, I mean, a lot of people say, well, how come you didn't look at the long long range forecast? You know, and it, it, but it just builds. You know, when you're in the mountains anywhere, things could happen fast. And that's the, the key to being, you know, um, to being prepared. And no one wants to admit, you know, I say defeat, but no one wants to have to bail off the mountain because of the, the weather, especially when I've got a good crew like those guys, you know. Uh, but there is a certain time where that's just knowing your weather and saying, Okay, better throw the hat in for the day (laughs) because, you know, no one wants to put yourself in that position. No one wants to have to call the Coast Guard and pluck you off a mountain or something or be sopping wet and get hypothermic, you know. Right. So yeah, I take pretty big pride not having to be cold and and miserable at all the time. You know, being prepared for it.
0: <laughs> well, and and that's it. We're we're not opposed to toughing it out. We're not opposed to riding out a storm or to doing whatever we have to do. But yeah, there comes a point where it's just sensible. Where it's like, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to hunt for a couple of days. This is going to come in bad. Like, uh, uh, this is a time that we do have to admit defeat, go down, and then uh, you know, reboot, and we'll be back up in a couple days and go for it. But yeah, um, yep. I, I'm with you. That uh, that weather is is crazy up there. But yeah, it sounds like a good crew. I know. Um, yeah, Steve Drake and Brad Christensen are good guys. Uh, you guys had a good hunt up there. Uh, you say mountain yep. goat?
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, it actually, it, you know those huge wind storms. It, it was kind of frustrating for me um, because with Brad, you know, it was his first mountain goat hunt, um, and these goats got pushed all around in different areas with those big winds and down in the cracks. And so once it kind of finally broke a little bit, we were just, you know, just pounding ground trying to find some of these goats. And I wouldn't be able to find it to bail out and go to another spot. And then, you know, it was frustrating for me because typically I just go up into an area. I know right where these goats are. I've been hunting for a bunch of years. And and uh, with Brad, we finally got his goat last light, 10th day of the hunt. And so, I, it, you know, Brad made a great, I think it was a 55, 60-yard shot on this bill. He went down quick, and so it was, uh, he did a great job. Yeah, the, both. I mean, the crew is awesome, obviously, having both those guys. It was a lot of fun. We had a blast.
0: How cool. Well, and, and doing so many of these hunts, and you're you're on, you, you know, you're facilitating for a lot of these guys their dream hunts. But it, it seems to me like no matter which hunt you're on, they, they hardly ever – you know they go right off the script like they um there's always going to be challenges that are put in your way you know whether it's the weather steep country the goats are in a different part we're not seeing the big bear we want we haven't like it seems like it's always something on every adventure hunt i go on and i think that's what i love about it but you almost have to embrace it when it comes when you're riding out that storm with those couple guys on the hill you know the only thing you got is each other to make it through it, you know, or, or when you're not seeing those goats and you got to just keep covering country or come out and go back in, like, the the only thing you got is your your attitude and each other, and you've got this hurdle in front of you, and what are you going to do? You're either going to give up or, or you're going to, you know, you're going to find a way to, to keep going and, and to try to find success, but I, I think that's what's so cool about these adventure hunts. It's just um, you never quite know what the challenges are going to be, but they almost always are there,
1: Sure. Well, and when you've been doing it long enough um, and you've had defeat a few times or had to be, you know, overcome things and, and be versatile. I mean, you know, when I'm going on a stock, no matter how easy the ram, the goat, the bear, the deer looks with me, I'm always thinking, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, because this is not it, there's always something. You know, we thought we had a ginormous bear dead to rights with one of my hunters, Kiviak Height, last year uh, in the spring. And, I mean, we had done this big backpack hump up into this area and found this bear. And, I mean, we had him. And you know, I thought it was just a perfect spot to this huge stock looping around the valley. Going to come up over this little knob, no big deal. Of course, you know, once I get over there, I'm just like, ah, man, these winds are dying and sure enough the the winds were it was this little back eddy of wind in there that i just didn't think would happen and i thought oh you gotta be kidding me and sure enough right right before we were getting ready to peek over the edge thinking we had him at 70 yards he had got up and bolted out of there with the sow he got i mean and to see a a truly ginormous you know pushing well over 10 feet but pushing what i figured to be over a 20 year old boar you know, take off and waddling up the mountain and here you've got a bow hunter with a rifle hunter you know you guy could have you know could have maybe smoked him but it was just one of those things where here you are watching that that pig go away from you and you, here you are thinking I had everything covered you know so when those things happen you always just have to keep them in the back of your mind and you know when these hunters sometimes are always like come on we can get him he's just right there we can get him but through these defeats that you've had throughout the years, you have to always keep in mind that animal is in that exact spot for a reason, you know, and especially if they're bedded. And you just have to figure out every single scenario, especially with the with a bow hunter, you know. Um, these animals are, are, they haven't gotten that old, you know, through being naive and, and uh, you know, not smart because it's they've had to deal with, with eluding other animals and hunters and whatnot. So it's always a big learning curve. You always have to keep on your toes and just expect the unexpected. And when it does happen, just learn from it. You know um, what I've taken is, it's pretty easy to blame these hunters. You know, I find myself, you know, ah, it was this guy's fault, blah, blah, blah. But realistically it's always my fault because I should have planned better. You know, uh, you know, if the hunter missed, that's one thing that, that, that can happen. But then I find myself beating myself up over why couldn't I have got a little closer. Maybe I didn't have a good shot angle for him. You know, maybe, I, you know, maybe if I was more patient or maybe if I would have tried a little harder, we could have found a little better shot for him. But, it, you know, it, it's pretty easy to blame others. But as the guide, it all comes down to you for the most part, you know, matter what. And, and, and trust me, the hunter never goes home it admits that he screwed up it's always <laughs> the guide it always is so just just be ready as a guide it's your fault no matter what
0: <laughs> oh. That's funny, Cole. But uh, I like how you accept responsibility for it. Like I know so many times on these hunts, it's easy to throw out excuses and not take responsibility for the the mistake you made on, on the stock. Like I I shouldn't have uh, approached that way, or I should have waited till later in the afternoon. And all these experiences they go in our in our mental bank, and then that's what creates our hunting instincts. You know, it, is from all these these experiences where you get things wrong and you get a few of them right and you you just try to learn from it but I'm the same way when things go wrong uh, I try not to make an excuse and I try to look at it uh, honest and and look at myself honestly and just try to think what I could have done different what can I learn from this scenario it went wrong what can I do better next time and and you definitely don't want to get caught in that where you 're beating yourself up over it, you know you you want to learn from it, yeah, it's it down and then and then move on and uh, you know uh, adjust your adjust your dope and go from there, whatever the case is but um yeah you sure. it uh you have a really good attitude about it, Cole, how you kind of take responsibility for. Uh, each and everything that happens and and I love your approach at hunting those those bears it seems so um patient and slow and methodical so well thought out that you are trying to think of absolutely everything and so you really you want to find a big bear and make it happen on your first stalk on that bear and so it may take you a couple days before the scenario or the circumstances are right but but you can see that and, and then you go all in with your hunter and you go hey now's our time to go make our move on this bear
1: Sure. Well, you know, it, it's just, you know, like I say, and, and a lot of this, like I say, it's through a lot of defeat over the years. I've screwed up and uh, many times, and it's just like anything. You just want to try to avoid that and trying to keep with the right attitude and whatnot with these, with the guys. And, um, you know, uh, I have owners that go home empty handed, you know, every once in a while, and it's a real bummer for me, but also you got to be able to move on. You know and, and and because the next guy coming that's his dream hunt and here you are all sad sob me you know um, you know and, and obviously like touching on like these hunters that that book hunts you know this is remember this is a hunt you're not going to a high fence ranch paying your money and and getting just just teaching and getting your animal you know it's this is a hunt you're paying for a hunt in Alaska, you're not you're not allowed to guarantee a hunt. You know, it, it's it, this is we we people are buying and purchasing an adventure and a hunt from us. You know, and it gets frustrating when you get guys that just get flat ass pissed at you that don't get their animal. You know, and it's one thing if the guy just doesn't care and the guy doesn't do his job. You know, but if you could tell the guy tried his hardest and is bummed about it. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is, but, you know, typically like with the guides, with these hunters that show up and if they don't get the animal, I've seen it plenty of times where they don't, they don't tip the guide and they just leave, you know, and then they're pissed off and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and I don't really care for me. I've been doing it long enough. I get paid decently from the there I work with, but if you've got packers and helpers and whatnot, they busted their butt, you know, um, for a long amount of time for this hunter. But it's just kind of one of those things where that is one of the reasons why I started going on guided hunts for myself, putting my money into scenarios, and if I go home empty handed, it is what it is. It hurts. You know, it sucks that your bank account, you know, you just spent that hard-earned money and you didn't get what you came after. But realistically, you paid for a hunt and you paid for the adventure. And does it burn when you come home empty-handed, not getting your, your 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 sheep, your your goat, or your uh, bear, or your, or your deer, or your meat that you wanted to go out and get? Yeah, it, it's a real bummer. It doesn't matter what the scale is, because you as a do-it-yourself hunter could be spending a thousand bucks, five hundred bucks, whatever, to drop you know gas and time to go out and hunt, and, you, and, you, and it's a real bummer when you come home empty-handed. But that thousand bucks. Could be someone's ten thousand or twenty thousand or fifty thousand that they spend, you know, a drop in the bucket for them. And so, uh, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things that I think people need to understand that these are hunts that you're purchasing, you know. And it's really easy to call an outfitter a bad outfitter or a bad guide if you didn't get the get their animals, you know. But it's just kind of one of the things that that we guides see and whatnot, but. uh I think it's really important, especially in today's day and age, to to uh, not get too confused about going on hunts and just collecting a specimen. You know, that these are adventures. These are these are uh, you know something that I think is very important for these hunters to realize these days.
0: Oh man, you you're so spot on, Cole. Like it is, it's the adventure, it's the experience, and if you're not enjoying being out there, whether you get something or not um you know what's the point like uh, uh you're you're paying if it was easier you wanted a high fence or a guarantee then you can go pay for that but you know like you say you're you're paying for the hunt and that's how i try to treat all my hunts, and, you know, you you set high standards, and, and sometimes you're going to come home empty-handed. And, you know, even all the hunts I do every season, you know, there's a couple that I come home empty-handed, including, you know, an Alaskan moose trip that I did, a long float trip that I had all planned out where it, you know, it took a lot of my savings to go do it. And uh, sure. it wasn't successful, but, man, did I have the experience of my lifetime. We saw 10 different bulls, and I saw like three or four that were shooters and a couple that were just the ones you dream about, you know, 60 to 70 inches, just huge dinner plates above their head. Like, that's what I was paying for, is to see one of those and to have my bow in my hands and be able to try for them, you know, and uh, I always say, worth the price of admission. And if I can go on a hunt and I can see the animal I'm after, better yet, if I can get a play and get a stalk, like, that is worth the price of admission. And and, uh, you do, you're spending so much money and it's never going to be guaranteed like you you better just enjoy it and not worry about the money you're spending or coming home with that animal once you've paid the money go and embrace the experience and have fun and and uh yeah and and you've also been been guided now so you've been going on these hunts and i think you told me when we talked earlier that a lot of these hunts you hear from uh, clients where they go on these on these awesome adventures and they'll tell you about them on their hunt whether it's a ten day brown bear hunt or whatever it is and so they start talking about these these blue sheep in Nepal and what the landscape looks like and the the people there and so they kind of plant the seed in your head and then you've been able to chase these down and and your hunt in Nepal was um, filmed for Yeti oh, what a great uh, what a what a great film um what was it called the hunter um what was it yeah
1: called? the yep it was called the hunt um yeah renan ozturk and ben ayers uh from camp four collective came and and yeah the guys that are did a great job on the hunt and you know it was just a it was a pleasure having you know ben o'brien there from yeti and whatnot i mean it was uh it you know going back to what you said um me getting my drive on these hunts is, you know, why do I go on, why do I go to these places? It's a lot of it is the old timers that I've guided that, or, or some of these old stories that I've read that are the true adventures. And I seek out the true adventures for myself and for my hunters, uh, the true expedition type of hunts. Um, not, have I been on some gentlemanly type of hunts? Yeah, I've been on those nice type of hunts. Um, but these types of hunts like going to Azerbaijan or Nepal you know these are the hunts that my hunters have said there's no cheating on this is these are the hunts that you have to give your 100% effort you know and the thing is is you know these hunts yeah sure you can give you can hand your pack over your rifle over to the local porters and guides for them to carry it for you but it doesn't really matter i mean it, you are in the struggle of your life <laughs> trying to climb up these mountains and some of them are so steep that most hunters have never encountered such steepness and maybe they've been in steep terrain but maybe not for that amount of time you know where the whole entire mountainside the whole trail is just extremely rugged rough to where if you fall you're dead and so uh, those types of hunts to me And it's not about, oh, being in death-defying hunts, but it's all – it's like for me, it's – like I say, it's the adventure. It's a culture of people. It's uh, putting yourself through those tests and, you know, becoming – you know, going there with these guides, the local guides. And, you know, when you show up, they just think you're some – you know, wealthy guy from wherever, right? That you just purchase this hunt and this and that, and the other. And a lot of the local guys are, are that live in villages and whatnot, they don't have much. You know, this is their only job. Some of it is their only job the whole year is, is to guide a few hunters and that's what they try to live off of. And so to go there with them and show them, hey, no, I, I want to be a part of the hunt. You know, I've always carried my own pack. I always carried my own rifle. Um, always tried to carry meat and hide and horns out to, just to be showing them like hey no this is a team effort it's not to, you know oh look at me i I was able to do it It, it's you know number one it's a it's a test but then also it's a team effort um to 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 just be involved and and it's it's great at the end of the hunt where those guys are sitting there and through an interpreter they're like hey yeah you're like us you know we this is really cool we've never had a hunter or we haven't had that many hunters actually do this you know with us and And it's really neat for me to be a part of those hunts and learning from those guides. The biggest, uh, you know, the biggest bummer of the hunt for me, like going overseas, especially if you have guides who don't speak English, but that's mainly the way it is. You may have an interpreter there. It's a real bummer because that's the thing with my hunts is when my hunters are sitting next to me, we talk so much and we get to know these people and when they leave it could be like the first time you've ever been with them but when they leave that 10-day hunt or whatever you've just you know sometimes you know way more than when you, what you really want to know about those people <laughs> um, but for the most part it's very very good things and um, you become their psychiatrist you know with their family or wife or whatever it may be, or, or business deals or who knows what and you're bouncing things off of each other about life and And so that's kind of a bummer when you go somewhere and you can't really talk to the guide because it's a different language. It's it's a language barrier, you know, unless you have that, you know, interpreter right there going back and forth, but it's just not quite the same. But it is so special to see the cultures and be with these people. And, you know, even if it is just little bits of English here and there or trying to learn their language, you know, that's all very, very special, you know. But, uh, but yeah, the being a part like go, that, you know, Azerbaijan and Nepal were like the major mountain bucket list items for me. And I was very, very blessed to be able to go do that. Um, and, uh, getting back to what you were saying about Nepal. Uh, yeah, we were, I was, you know, I presented that adventure to Yeti just telling them that's where I was going to be going. If it's something they want to be a part of. And they said, yeah, we would like to be a part of. And, and when they mentioned about uh, having a film crew go, say, okay, that's fine. Um, but I, just so you know, this is quite the, you know, this is quite the epic adventure in the mountains, and you just can't send any film crew. It's got to be the right group of guys because <laughs> I don't, number one, this is my hunt of a lifetime, and I don't want to have to be worried about uh, some film crew not being able to, you know, hold up to that environment. And... Um, and just get in way over their head. And so when they had mentioned about Renan Ozturk, to be honest, I had zero clue who he was. And I just didn't know. It's not my world. And so when they said, here's a few links to a couple of these projects he's worked on, take a look. you know. And when I did, you know, one of them was Maru, uh, which is um, when Renan, Jimmy Chin, Conrad Anker climbed the face Maru, one of the first successful climbers in the world to ever do that
0: that and, is an unreal documentary too that is yes. wild and so this guy that was filming for you he hadn't done a lot of hunts he had done a lot of mountaineering right
1: correct yep. yes he had okay. never been on a hunt before and he he's uh based on i think park city could be wrong but i think park city utah but he, he you know he's known some people to go hunting but he's never been a part of one um and so this is all new and you know once again kind of thought Okay, guys, this is a hunt. You know, uh, these guys have never been on a hunt before. Are you sure this is the right crew um, to be to be going on this? You know, and when they said, you know, yeah, actually, this is what we want because we don't just want another hunting film. We want something that can, you know, Renan's crowd of people, his followers, uh, are all basically the non-hunting party or the party that doesn't maybe know much about hunting. Uh, and a lot of them were very against hunting. And so but they wanted to be able to have something to be able to cross over to that other barrier. Um, when you have just a normal hunting show or a normal hunting film, um, if it has the same exact aroma, sometimes it's really easy to go up the other chimney rather than <laughs> the other side. Um, and so it it was, uh, I think very successful. Uh, route to go because we've had a lot of people that are on the non-hunting side respond back to the film to us um, and been very supportive of it. Uh, I believe it's in the BAMP Film Festival where I could be wrong, but I think they told me that there was never been a hunting film ever put in the BAMP Film Festival and it's still playing in it, I believe. And so, um, and so that was a very big thing to be able to have a hunting film in that and for all i know i don't think we've had any rotten tomatoes or anything thrown at us from that or that crowd so that's good (laughs) you know and there's always going to be haters there's always going to be people that are against it you know renan's had some you know people firing back at him for why would he want to do that but i think it's pretty easy if you watch the film you know then um you can kind of see how it's not just about killing some sheep but also it's it's you know it's a whole adventure but it goes to a great cause and whatnot in the conservation efforts in nepal um, but it was really cool for me to have those guys and i honestly think those guys did such a good job there they both knew the nepali language amazing they could talk with the porters they could you know get interviews from them um uh, mon one of the other the guide uh he, amazing guy great person, so much fun, you know, great attitude. Uh, I was extremely impressed with his abilities in the mountains. And he reminded me a lot of, you know, the the same guiding style that I would take. Uh, I'm always very cautious in the mountains with animals. And he was extremely cautious as well. Like he very much respected the sheep and how, Witty they were, and how aware they were of their surroundings. He, he wasn't careless. He wasn't reckless, you know. In the mountains, like some of the guides I've encountered in different areas of the world, um, that just rush into a scenario. Um, and so it that was a uh, amazing adventure to be a part with that whole team effort of people. we um, and Ben did an amazing job, um, just capturing everything. And and for them, to, you know answering the questions um, every day that they had about hunting was something that I'm not typically used to on a hunt. Here you are, everyone's been hunting, but every day there's new questions, you know, at night about hunting. Well, how come, you know, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings of this, this, and this? And, okay, and, you know, it's just these are all honest, good questions they had of, uh, you know, why we hunt and whatnot, you know. Um, and so that was a real treat to have those people there um, and obviously, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Ben O'Brien was there and that was a blast having him there. And um, I have a, a I've had a, a pretty successful run at getting Ben O'Brien into things that he's maybe not a 100 percent aware of what's going
0: to happen <laughs> well, he's coming from texas and but he is so <laughs> mentally strong like he's such yeah. a and and we talked about the nepal hunt too he was on the podcast and um yeah it's uh it, so you talk him in a little bit over his head sometimes you think
1: well it's it's just he knew what he was kind of getting into you know ben's obviously been a writer for other hunting magazines and whatnot and, and he, he's heard of everything, but, you know, trying to get someone prepared and whatnot to uh, go do something is not always the easiest thing and whatnot. And the biggest downfall with Ben, I think, on that whole trip was when he left the the States, he was really sick with bad head congestion and whatnot, and really bad cold. And so then you fly for two days overseas uh, does not make it better. And then the first day in Kathmandu, I think we ate some food and then we got out to camp. It kind of set in on us and we all kind of got food poisoning. Um, I don't think it was water, but uh, I think it was just food poisoning from one thing or another. But um, the outfitter does a great job at great camps, and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, I, I don't think it was from his food there. I think it was just in, in, the, in the city. But regardless, uh, it, it hit me first. Um, the first day of, we hiked in a uh, half, we got landed and then hiked uh, half a day up to a little village up in the mountains, camped there and that next like overnight the snow would, snow continued to fall. and uh, they told me, hey, we may not go anywhere today. We need to send the porters and sherpers um, first to see how the trail is up there for the mules and whatnot um, to see if they can get through which to us is kind of like, well, there's barely any snow out here. Is it really that deep? Well, it was kind of like the north-facing sides of the mountains up there that we were going up and over past, so there's a lot more snow built up up there. And so they sent guys, well, immediately after they told me that morning at breakfast that uh, we weren't going to be going anywhere, I was sort of feeling fairly sick in the stomach. And, uh, okay, I'm going to go up and lay down in my tent. I don't feel so good. And I think I made it, you know, about 20 feet up the hill, to my tent and everyone, no one was kind of looking, I was just started meandering up there and I got a couple feet from my tent and I mean, I just explosive vomiting, you know, and uh, it, it, you know, I haven't puked and I have zero clue the last time I puked, um, especially from stomach, you know, from having the flu or something, I just don't remember that. Um, so it for this to hit that hard was extremely impressive <laughs> to me. But uh, mine lasted the whole day, and then the next day I was fine. But some of the guys started feeling a little sick that, that day as well, but it hadn't really hit them. Mine moved through pretty fast through my system. But once Ben, we started hiking the next day, Ben kind of got up into that uh, about a little over 12,000 feet, and we were ahead of them. Renan and I were hiking along and just talking and talking with one of the other guides, and we were all strung out for about a mile. On the mountainside, you know the porters and us, and then them kind of sat down to take a break. And when he got up, it was just kind of like you know how when you stand up real quickly and you get really lightheaded. I think it was like that for him, and he just started you know going downhill at that point. Um, started seeing well, like you say, he was on your podcast and told you all about. It, but started seeing all sorts of interesting things: the wolves, the babies, the Uh, you know a lot of things but he finally stumbled into camp a few hours later when I saw him I thought oh man this is not good Um, you know um, unfortunately for me um, that you know the the film was a great film I really really enjoyed it uh, but I really really wish it could have been longer to show Ben's struggle on that hunt and to be able to show the people you know, someone like him pushing through that and being successful on a hunt when all of us are 100 percent of us thought 100 percent that there is zero chance of him being successful on a sheep after that hit him that hard for a few days. We just thought, you know, I made him get global rescue before the hunt. um all right. I told him it would be smart if he got global rescue. So I, I, you know, I got the membership and he did too. And I thought, okay, that'll be the, that'll be the way he'll get out of here. He's not hiking out, you know, for sure. Cause he could barely make it out of his tent. He had, when we pulled his tent, he had, <laughs> I don't know how he piles of puke in the, in the uh, <laughs> snow there and some other matter that was piled up. Um, so it was, you know, for him to be able to pull through that was so, so amazing. You right. Know? Um, and I was really, really proud of him uh, because it would have been very easy for someone to give in and just say, "Get me out of here." And he, even when he was really sick, we would ask, him, "How you doing?" "Oh, great! Oh, great!" Uh, blah, you know, pu- <laughs> but <laughs> you know, uh, from my standpoint, I just thought it was so cool, and I really wish the people could have seen that. I wish we could have had that, you know. Um, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday we'll see that, you know, because we do have everything on film. Um, but uh, we need to get Yeti to, to, to amp out some more money so we can see that.
0: You know? so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, such a great story of determination and will, like, uh, you know, and, and that is, um, you know, it's difficult to push hard in the mountains when you feel 100 percent. But then when you feel it like 25 percent or you're that sick and – and uh, you know, I think that's the thing that's it's hard to grasp. You know, as I as I look at it. Um. You know, I I can push hard in the mountains, but I usually feel pretty good, you know. When I start feeling bad, that's when it gets tough, but I can't imagine feeling right. that bad and then being up at that elevation in a, a different place and just not knowing, you know, uh, not knowing what kind of shape you're actually in, too. Like, how serious and how bad is this, really? Should I hit the rescue button, you know, that, that had to be tough mentally and, and so taxing on him. And, yeah, for, for him to to show his determination and come through and, and harvest a sheep. Uh, that's just amazing to, to him. Such credit to him.
1: Yeah. Well, it was really cool because you know, my, my, um, hunt, I was very much against me killing the first sheep, you know, from our camp, the, the final camp we got to, you know, this was day five of the hiking of the actual hiking of the trip was the first day that we were actually going to hike up the mountain to, to find sheep. This wasn't like five days of looking for sheep. It was five days of hiking to get to the sheep. And so, uh, you know, they said, okay, well, Ben's not doing good, uh, so you'll go up after the sheep. And I and I said, no, I, the close ones need to be for Ben. I'll wait. And he kept getting worse and worse. And they said, listen, uh, you need to go up after the rams. And I was pretty upset about it, but then we all kind of had a powwow. And I thought, yeah, Ben's not going to be able to, he, man, this sucks. He's just not going to be able to do it. This is not, not going to happen. And so when I went up with Mon, you know, I, of course here, I am carrying my pack, my rifle, all the stuff, you know, for the day, um, we had a base, a, a fly camp down in the bottom. Um, you know, I, I made the mistake of, of <laughs> trying to stay with them. And we had a, uh, uh, about a 4,000 or uh, yeah, about a 4,000 foot elevation gain.
0: Oh wow! And it uh, it was uh yeah
1: it was it was pretty hard it was pretty steep and it, and it, it was extremely cold that day it was clear but it was push it was blowing a lot of snow around and you know I made the mistake of trying to keep up and you know you're kind of thinking okay he'll stop he'll slow down you know to take a break it was just kind of kept going and finally I got to the point where I said. Okay, I'm just gonna have to slow down myself, otherwise these guys will never stop. And so um, it was extremely taxing on me, but I was you know, but we got up to the ridgeline, spotted some sheep, you know, probably around 15,000 feet up. Um, and but then once I saw this old ram, uh, I said, then that's the one, you know. And, and they were kind of surprised that I wanted to go after it because I had a, a broken one one side it was kind of broken down and you know most of the hunters i guess like a doll sheep want the full tips and you know or just barely broomed down or whatnot but full sides and um, when i saw that old ram to me it was just i mean exactly what i wanted to try to get on that hunt and i mean i was so pumped so excited to see him but we had to go up another thousand feet to get up above and then come around on him and uh just just seeing an animal like that to me is super special. Um, so when we got up there, you know everything worked out according to Mon's plan. He laid out a perfect stock, and we got up there, was able to make a good shot on the ram. Um, but I guess my point of this whole deal is, you know, it all worked out great. But it was like, you know, it wasn't crazy far from camp, you know. Whereas moving, you know, when we came down that night um, checked on Ben, uh, you know, he was feeling a little better and we said, you know, you need to go for a hike tomorrow. He came out to look at the sheep, And so he said, okay, I'll go for a little hike. And he ended up, you know, they ended up taking him on a little hike and just to see how far he could go and go and go. And so he thought, well, I all, I think we'll try giving it a go tomorrow. Otherwise we got to get you out of here. And his hike on the other hand (laughs) was quite a bit further than mine. And we went up to, I believe, 16,000 or more up and over a pass. And, I mean, it was way further in distance than mine was. Wow. I mean, way further. I mean, and, you know, mine was very taxing, very steep and whatnot. Um, you know, we got sixteen to 18,000. Know, it was like we got up really high and drop way down to get back up there, you know, but – his was extremely far and up and over a pass, and then he had to drop off the mountain off the backside all the way down into this valley bottom and climb back up just to where these sheep were, you know. And when Mon laid that out to us, I was like, what? We, you know, here we just went through this pass and wrapped on this mountain, and he, and he's pointing at these rams where they are, and I'm thinking just right off the side of our mountain, but he's pointing over it, and I'm like, dude, that's 2,000 yards away. You know, like, we, I'm thinking to myself, like, holy crap. If I was the guide, I may, I very well may have been with that hunter said, I think that's probably a little far. I don't think we're going to be able to make it over there. But Mon just said, you guys stay here. He told me to stay put, camera guys to stay put, and he would take Ben over with one of the other guides and because it was kind of in the open and they needed to, you know, not be, have so many people, and, and he – off he went and Ben didn't question him, just off he went with them. They dropped way down, curved around, and Ben made a great shot on this ram and I just was like, Holy crap, you know, I couldn't believe and then because once we dropped off there, then we had to climb all the way back up this mountain, you know, twenty five hundred feet or something, you know, and a lot of snow back up and over this pass, and I just thought, I can't believe we're doing this. I really can't believe that we have gotten Ben over here to do this. And and it was great because it almost it, it it pushed Ben and it like it it just got him out of his funk, you know. And he was so pumped after he got that sheet, you know. It, it was like, uh, you know, and he may explain it differently, but to me, watching it, it was very impressive, you know. I like I've said before to people, I'm a guide. I'm expected to be successful, you know. I'm supposed to be in amazing shape and blah blah blah, you know. But to have someone like that that I kind of lured into this trip. Uh, to pull through and actually get it done and now we're going to be able to hike him out with a ram you know is like awesome you know such a feeling of success you know for us just for him to be able to pull through right so i was just super pumped for that that was my highlight
0: man i'd say that is amazing yeah that uh puts it in perspective too like how much you had to hike and just all those uh all that exertion and then for him to just push the limits of of what everybody thought was possible except for the guide at that point you know is 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 wild and then to pull through and kill that sheep and and hike them all the way out of there good on you guys um man oh man yeah. um and, and what a great film that that Yeti put on uh, if you if you guys haven't checked it out check it out um it's absolutely amazing so um yeah i i'm i'm almost at a loss for words just thinking about that i can you can almost put when you're talking about it you put me in that place with you in there um but how cool congratulations to him and congratulations to you 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 guys definitely got the the adventure you were after
1: yeah I mean, I think most people that know Ben just think he's only good at uh giving you free cups or coolers and beers, um, but he is actually more capable than that, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that is wild, I would say, so no, yeah, no, how cool well, um, Cole, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This is really fun to have you on the podcast.
1: Well, I really appreciate it, and I know we're kind of all over the place, but uh you know I really appreciate it and Look forward to hopefully being able to chat with you again and um, you know, always enjoy listening to you guys and uh Eastmans and whatnot. And great group of guys.
0: Yeah, um, thanks a bunch, Cole. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, we were on point today, I thought for um subject matter. You know, you jump around a little bit, but that's kind of the nature of the beast. It um it it flowed really really well like I enjoyed it um, from start to finish. But yeah, you've just been on some amazing adventures, and um, yeah, I'm gonna keep in touch with you and be saving my pennies for one of those adventures. Um, it sure sounds like fun, and and uh, I know you've been hunting down here in the states too. I gotta get you gotta get you on some of that high country mule deer stuff. It's a pretty oh, cool yeah. adventure here for the lower 48 and that extreme high country with those velvet bucks. You versus them as much as you like to bow hunt and as much as you like adventure adventure um you'd get hooked on it pretty quick but uh you got a lot of fun things to do up there as well i know
1: well we do but i tell you there's that that is one of the, the tough things with me um is being able to come and hunt in these other areas um of the country uh is it's always during our guide season and i was blessed a couple of a couple of falls ago to come down and hunt in montana uh for um antelope and mule deer but that was you know in the lowlands and whatnot and i've seen uh a lot of your information on that and and kept up with some of your high mountain adventures there for those mule deer and i think yeah totally would love to do that it would be a blast Um, absolute awesome and your wealth of information and you know i think it'd be a, a lot of fun great team effort there
0: all right. Well, we got to keep in touch and get you in on one of those. That would be fun. Um, so, yeah, just thanks again, man. I really enjoyed
1: it. Okay, buddy. Thank you.
0: All right, guys. That's a wrap. Oh, what a fun conversation with Cole. Um, man, it's just fun to learn about uh, all these different different hunts. I was so interested in, like, the Kodiak brown bears is you know, I just get a taste of it with blackberries, but those are, those are the, the absolute ultimate to hunt. And then with a bow and arrow and sneaking so close to them, gosh, that would be a fun hunt. But, um, yeah, talking about that and sheep hunting and Nepal and, um, what a, what a great conversation. What a great guy. Um, Cole is so nice. We ended up talking for another all 15, 20 minutes after the podcast, but, uh, yeah, just a super guy. That was a really fun one for me. And, um, it's just it's fun to to hear those stories and and uh, hear the passion come out when Cole talks about it and and um, gosh there's uh there's levels to this game, and um, Cole definitely has a ton of hunting experience. Um, boy, he'd be fun to hunt with, you know, just the the way he analyzes everything, the way his brain works, the um, uh, the way he um, comes up with these methodical, planned out stocks. and um, so. A- anyways, really fun uh, getting to meet him, getting to know him on the podcast, and and having a good conversation with him. So really fun. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Sitka. Again, Sitka's just making the best technical mountaineering clothing out there, and every year they just keep evolving their fit and their their clothing or their uh, their fabrics and and uh, their design. And um, uh, those guys are just hitting it out of the park, and they have, you know, uh, they have a, a a way of coming out with with everything you need. Like I say, everything from base layers to insulating layers to shell. I got some of those puffy pants last year i have always wanted a pair of those for like the last 10 years and i just finally got a pair last year and they're uh like a like a Goose down pant, or uh, maybe I have that wrong, but just a a highly insulated pant that goes on and it uh, zips over your pants. And so when you're sitting on the vantage point and you're cold, you can zip them over. Uh, I use them fishing a bunch, like I use them in my waders for wintertime fishing or steelheading. They're just amazing. They're just a dream to wear, Uh, but they're they're so warm. And then for wintertime, you know, anytime you stop moving, you can zip those things on. Or at camp, and they're pretty lightweight. So I'm pretty pumped on those. Uh, I've got a new puffball jacket come. I've got mine finally worn out. Um I I think I got at least 3 or 4 seasons out of it. And that's 3 or 4 seasons of hunting use, but that's also 3 or 4 seasons of construction use and you know those puffball jackets they're they're made I think theirs are called the uh are they the, the Kelty Oh my gosh, I'm going <laughs> to. What great notes I have today. But Sika is just a great company. And I call them puffball jackets, but I'm getting a new puffball jacket. But three seasons of, of use and abuse, you know, not only hunting, but construction site use and, and everyday living. Uh, they're just great jackets for here in Montana in the wintertime. And, and, and they're great for summertime, too. I always have mine with me. It's my pillow I use to sleep on. Uh, if it gets really cold, I can shove it in my foot box and my sleeping bag. Uh, when I wake up in the morning or evening, I've always got a jacket. They've got a hood on there, so I can I can hood up, um, and and it's just this this highly insulated jacket. So I got a new one of those coming, and uh, but just great technical clothing that um, that that holds up to the abuse that uh, that really keeps you more comfortable on the mountain. So um, I can't say enough good things about Sitka, um, and I know Cole Kramer's is a Sitka athlete as well. So um, just a great company. And like I say, we're going to start giving out, um, I guess they're not prizes, but just give away from our sponsors. Thanks for, for guests for being on um, and sharing information and that. And so Sika, they they gave me an Apex hoodie to give away. Um, so it's a, I'm, I'm really pumped to give it away. It's 230 grain of merino wool, like this mid-layer um this fleece, it's got a, a, a pocket, a, a really intelligent pocket scheme on it, and, um, you know, it's lightweight. Um, it, it carries the hood as well. I think it runs a, a face mask with it, um, and it's, it's just a... Boy, it's going to be a go-to for a hoodie. I, I can't wait to get it. I end up using these hoodies all the time. I, I wear them nonstop. They're just such a great layer. But uh, anyways, they gave me one of those to give away, and and uh, so we're going to start doing that on the podcast. But thanks again to, to Sitka, the company, for everything they do and standing behind this podcast. I, I really appreciate the support. Um, and with that, gosh dang it, it's – um. It's been fun. It's early in the morning here. I'm trying to think quickly, and I, I can't. I haven't had enough cups of coffee, but um, it's uh, it's been good. Got in my run yesterday. I've been getting in some really good runs. Um, I am just pumped for the season, taking my shooting to the next level. I'm not missing a, a day and sometimes doing two-a-days and trying to really challenge myself and get better. Um, just spend more time... Uh, uh, tweaking and tuning with my bow and getting it exactly how I want it um so yeah I'm just I am pumped for 2018 and it's all going to start off here with bear season so i um, really excited to get out and start chasing those things around I did not fill my bear tag last year and so uh, this year I'm going to be going pretty hard with my bow and arrow and um trying to get one of those things down and yeah I've been out uh let's see walking around a little bit I I try not to uh push any of these wintering bulls around, but, um, I used to shed hunt so hard. I used to like shed hunting more than I liked hunting. That was about, I don't know, a dozen or 15 years ago, but, um, I would take all my time during March and April and, and, uh, chase sheds. And I just love how you could pick one and your season wasn't over. And and it taught me a lot about elk. It teaches me where elk bed, and where elk feed, and how they transition through country, and trying to find where they were, and where they are, and um, I just learned so many great things, and got so much great experience hunting horns, and I kind of got away from it, and I'd still find a few every season, but I, I just got into other things, and put all my focus into bow hunting, and being successful at that, and so I wasn't taking as much time, but yeah, I went out last Saturday, and I got a couple really nice big six points. I got two laughs. Um, I could not find the rights to save my life, but it took me like four and a half hours to make it to the spot where the, the bulls were hanging out or had been hanging out. I didn't see any bulls or didn't chase any bulls or anything like that. I knew they were out of that area, but, um, so it took me four and a half hours to get there. And so then you've only got a couple hours to hunt around, you know, before you've got to make the four hour trek back, you know, uh, so you're not walking halfway through the night, which I would do for a shed, but uh, it was just um, so fun to just uh, challenge yourself, like get to the mountains and do a mountaineering trip. Like I do these runs and, and those can be an hour, two hours or, you know, a little bit longer. And, and I will challenge myself on some of these longer runs, but that is just like mountaineering when you're, when you're doing double digit miles and you're doing, you know, three, 4,000 vertical feet and, uh, you get excuse me, you're getting into chest deep snow and you're getting into, um, uh, you know, you're, you're bucking snow the whole way, um, steep cliffs and things of that nature. But it, it just felt like a true mountaineering trip. I really had fun and took my dog with me. He did good. And, um, yeah, we got in there and found two really nice six points, just uh, nice big brown fresh horns it's, they're pretty fun to find so I can't go crazy as I do have the, a lot of construction work right now and a, a lot of things I'm doing with podcasts and things but every free day I can get I I think I should be out there walking around looking for one of those things at least until bear season opens up um but that was fun I found two lefts I don't know where the rights are I looked everywhere for them but like I say I only had a couple hours to try to find them but um uh, anyways, really fun. Gonna be back out this weekend. Hopefully I can find the rights to those two or just go mountaineer into a different spot, but, um, really nice to, or it's really fun just to challenge myself and do, you know, it, it was dang near 10 or 12 hours of steady hiking, you know? And so, uh, it felt like an expedition. It, it, it was fun. I got to get out and do more of that. So, um, yeah, just, uh, enjoying life to the fullest, enjoying what I have around me here and, and, uh, definitely some, some, elk sheds hitting the dirt. So, um, excited to get back out and do that. I took my dad fishing on, um, Sunday. So that was fun. Took him for a drift down the river and, um, yeah, just, just trying to live life to the fullest, uh, keep busy with family and, and, uh, work and recreating and training. Um, but all good here on my end. So, um, hope you guys are doing well as, uh, doing well as well doing good as well uh you know i hope you're working hard towards your goals and looking forward to 2018 um i better get some more caffeine in my system i'm surprised i could even get this intro and ending done this morning but uh thanks you guys for all the support and for listening into the podcast um this has been a a really fun venture for me to, um, start and then grow this podcast and get better at it, um, over time. So, um, just excited at the direction of it and excited at all the support I get from you guys. So, uh, thanks again, uh, have a good week you guys and, I'll uh, check in with you soon.